0: Hi friends, welcome to Reading Minds where ordinary people talk about extraordinary books. So today Mason is here and we're going to talk about our second assignment.
1: Hello. Hello. <laughs>
0: If you didn't listen to our episode called Sci-Fi is just Fantasy in Space,
1: yeah,
0: um, I started that sentence and then...
1: You didn't know where it was going to go? No. I think you are going to talk about how... Recapping on how he is do book yes, assignments. Yes, that's
0: it. That's so it. what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, so if you didn't listen to that episode, we have started this new thing where we assign each other books. So last time we talked in that episode, um, he read wow what did you Jane Eyre. He, yeah you read Jane Eyre which is my favorite book which mm-hmm. you wouldn't have guessed based on that hesitation um and I read the first Lord of the Rings book yep. and basically he assigned me all three Lord of the Rings books so I, yep. I finished the second one and that's where I'm at and he read A Conflict of Visions by Thomas Sowell
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is very different from Lord of the Rings Very different. Yeah. <laughs> and Jane Eyre it's different from everything <laughs> Let's just
1: so jump into so, it. So we can
0: start with me since okay. basically this is just a continuation of everything that we talked about last time. Right. Um, so go check out that episode if you want to hear my initial thoughts on Lord of the Rings.
1: hmm
0: Um I will say the structure of the second book was very different. It is. Since the the company kind of split off into two groups. Right. The first half of the book dealt with like aragorn and legolas and gimli and all of those people in the second half dealt mm-hmm. with frodo and sam um and usually when they're when i read books with two different sets of characters that we're following mm-hmm. is usually divided up every other
1: chapter right
0: and this was not it was just half of the book
1: <laughs> and i think that's on purpose because basically you're reading you read through aragorn legolas and you don't really know what's going on with Frodo and Sam, right. and it which kind is, of fills
0: in the gaps. which
1: captures like how they're feeling because they don't know what's going on. Yeah. 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 And so you, so you read through their story without knowing what's happening. Yeah.
0: And I honestly liked it structured mm-hmm. like that because Frodo and Sam are definitely the more lighthearted of the bunch, even though they're yeah. on like, you know, the serious, <laughs> the big mission. Going to
1: Mordor. <laughs> no big light trip. <laughs> Lighthearted trip. Lighthearted. stroll.
0: But they're, they're the hobbits. They're the, they're the fun ones. Yeah. So it was kind of nice reading all of the... Or, like, there was less history or less... Right. Less Less lore. lore. Yeah. That's the word. Lore. In the second half, which was kind of nice to, like, Mm -hmm. work through all of that in the first half and then kind of have a break.
1: Yeah.
0: And also get back to the the main plot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oh, I forgot... Yeah, again, I have forgotten major plot points that were going to happen in this book because I... My memory of the movies are just
1: which is bad. really nice.
0: It is really nice. It's just I there. It's all a shock. Yeah. Let's see what happened in this book that was shocking. Oh, Gandalf isn't dead. Because <laughs> I know in the last book or the last recording, I was like, oh, I forgot Gandalf died. When I also forgot that he didn't die. Yeah. Also. Yeah. So he's back.
1: Well, he did die. <laughs> he came back.
0: Right. Yeah. He's in white now. Mm-hmm. So that was a shock, a happy shock, but it, it, I have no idea what's going on in this book or in these books.
1: Yeah.
0: I thought I did, but no.
1: hmm
0: What else? Oh, it ended with the spider part. I remembered mm-hmm. the spider part from the movies because spiders yeah. are the worst and giant spiders are just like my worst nightmare. Right. And it was even worse in the book because in the movie oh, really? you can kind of see what's happening, but in the book it's totally dark. Right. So imagining that, and then all of a sudden, like, seeing eight eyes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can see that. That would I be was, a little creepy. I think
0: I was, like, talking aloud during that part of the book. You were in the other room when I was reading that, oh, really? and I was updating you on the spider. Every, oh, okay. Every couple paragraphs, I was like, okay. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay, they got away. Oh, no, the spider's back. <laughs> 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 That's how that went. That was fun. Um,
1: so how do you, how do you like the second book compared to the first book?
0: I think I liked it better okay and I think like it I think it's just because the first book gives you the foundation for all of the characters but Mm -hmm. in the second one you really get into it yeah and you already know the
1: people right you already
0: know them and it goes even more into the the history and the lore and all of that stuff and you you meet more characters but it all serves to advance like the characters that we already know right um also i think we talked about friendship a little bit in the mm-hmm. last episode but i had a point about this
1: like listen give we're gonna talk about yeah
0: that. oh <laughs> when they're fighting mm-hmm. um what is it helm's deep yeah yeah that was one of my favorite parts it was just so funny um because now they're friends as we established right. in the mm-hmm. last episode or the last book
1: bridging Um, the racial divide
0: right between the elves and the
1: dwarves dwarves.
0: and now they're best friends and it's Mm -hmm. adorable Mm -hmm. and they had this little contest going when they were fighting the battle at Helm's Deep and they were counting up how many people they had killed and they were reporting back like oh I got 14 well I got 15 and Mm -hmm. they're just going back and forth and uh, there was one point where Gimli was he was somewhere in, like, great peril. Yeah. And they are like, oh, no, is he not going to make it? And Legolas comes up and goes, oh, where's Gimli? And they're like, oh, he's out, you know, probably going to die. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, no, that's such a shame. Because I was going to tell him that I've killed 24. <laughs> and Gimli's fine and everything. Yeah. Um, at least for now. I don't know what's going to happen in the third book. Because <laughs> apparently I know nothing. But... Yeah, that was a really funny moment. Awesome. Um, but also, besides the funny parts, like all of the friendships in the book are just very genuine, yeah. seeming. Mm-hmm. And I think there's not okay. I keep. I know in the last recording, I got in trouble for like generalizing about lots of things that I didn't know about. But I'm gonna right. probably do it again.
1: Okay.
0: Um, I think it's harder to capture genuine male friendships
1: mm-hmm.
0: in books today. This book, you I get what you're saying like, very genuine-seeming friendships between men.
1: Yeah, Brett, so Brett McKay from The Art of Manliness actually is, I think he's written a couple of articles and has, I don't know if he has a podcast episode on it, but Mm. um, about that, about, like, kind of how male friendship has changed over the past centuries, and, yeah.
0: Yeah, because now there has to be a, I feel like there has to be a lot more humor for it to be, like, oh, no homo. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think maybe it's, jrr tolkien's um his um experience in war yeah you've gotta be like upfront right. with people right if that makes yeah. sense <laughs> yeah no,
1: the, the war definitely influences his view. yes his, his writings
0: but yeah that was one of the major things that i took away from that
1: one picked from it
0: yeah what else even happened i'm in the third book now so i feel like a lot of the things i'm thinking of now are from happening. The third book in the second book right and all this kind of they're all blend they're together. all blending together which yeah. is great I feel like the books are basically just broken up because we're like out of convenience yeah. for the reader and, and, and the like, two well, towers we have like yeah. a thousand page book, so right. we're gonna break it up
1: right and I feel like the two towers definitely kind of showcases that because it's it doesn't really have a beginning and it doesn't really have an ending
0: right it Um, all just kind of flows it is
1: definitely just a middle of a bigger story right even like the first book you kind of have like it's a cliffhanger ending but it's still like a beginning and then you have like a cliffhanger ending but then it at
0: least ties it up somewhat yeah
1: yeah but the two towers is just kind of awkward it doesn't have a beginning or an ending
0: um oh let's talk about the title because you asked me what the two towers were because he left it kind of ambiguous and i had just read about frodo and sam going up to the the teeth of mordor mm-hmm. which is like the big gate and and in that paragraph where they're going up to it it said there are two towers on either side so i was like two towers two towers check that's where the title came from but yeah. but no, no.
1: <laughs> and he, he almost kind of retconned it and just, it, it from what I've read, he uh, was kind of pressed with a deadline and had to kind of give a title, and he wasn't very happy with it. Mm. <laughs> um, and so later on, like people debated back and forth, which two towers is he talking about? Is he yeah. talking about Minas Morgul and uh, uh, Isengard, or you know Orthank? Is he talking about Minas Tirith and uh, Helm's Deep? You know what? What? Is, There's
0: a lot of towers.
1: There are a lot of towers, a lot of fortresses uh, <laughs> going on. I think
0: uh, Orthanc. Or yeah. I think that's definitely one of them because that was a major part. Yeah, of Tolkien, the book. in a
1: letter, eventually settled upon. Um, I believe it was. It Orthanc and Minas Morgul were the okay. two that he settled upon.
0: Okay, so he decided after the title was given. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I then, just now thought the movies. It was the so game. now Peter Jackson,
1: <laughs> he the, his interpretation was Barad-dur, and uh, Orthanc. Which one was that? barad is the tower in Mordor. That's where like Sauron's eye.
0: Those it's, are both like evil towers, though.
1: Right. That's the point. We're thinking, yeah. Would you Isn't think? Is there I said, a good tower? Minas Tirith. Minas oh. Tirith is a tower. Oh, that's what I was tower. thinking. Or Helm Sieb, was but, Minas but Helm's But really Tirith
0: tower. is more in the third book, right? Right. Yeah. Because um, I, at least in my brain, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of Minas Tirith lately. Yeah. But I can't remember if we're no the
1: the idea is <laughs> it's talking is. about the alliance between Sauron and Sauron because that's kind of the focus on the book right. is yeah. okay.
0: Any more questions for me?
1: I think that's it. Yeah, Not too controversial.
0: No, I do want to name our child Theoden now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I never imagined that. You would be the one in this place wanting to name yeah. a child after a Lord of the Rings character.
0: And I never imagined that you would be hesitant about that. Like, <laughs> you're the nerdy one. You're supposed to be, like, thrilled yeah. that I have come up with a nerdy name that I like.
1: Yeah, but I also love my son. And...
0: Okay, but listen, <laughs> it could totally be normal because you can use all of the Theodore nicknames. Like, you could call right. him Theo. But or at Teddy. some point,
1: he's going to have to tell the story about how his mom read Lord of the Rings while she was pregnant and decided that he had to be named Theoden. That is a situation that's going to have to happen. I think it would
0: work. I think it would be fine. People are naming their kids all kinds of crazy stuff That doesn't now.
1: mean we have to name our kids. It's something crazy.
0: It's not crazy. <laughs> it means king.
1: No, it would be a great name if it wasn't for like Lord of the Rings. Like I could see it working out.
0: And also but Theoden's a great character.
1: Yes. To yes.
0: aspire to be like.
1: True. That is true.
0: It's a good role model for our it son. Is true. I love our son too. <laughs> anyway, sure that's do. that's the hot debate of today. Today. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm talk I about... think I've exhausted. Well, I'm sure I haven't exhausted all of my thoughts on Lord of the Rings, but I think more of my thoughts are on the third book at this yeah. point. Yeah. So talk about a conflict soul. of
1: visions. So what soul said thomas soul he's an economist um a relatively typically i, I say conservative like in the free mar- pro free market right um leaning side of things um
0: yeah and i had read that book in college for my comparative economic systems class yeah. so that that was my experience with that book and he's been talking about a lot of economic-y yeah. type things lately and this is a very broad book mm-hmm. so I thought it would be interesting yeah. to him which is why I assigned it to him right to you yeah because I've been <laughs> yeah
1: so I guess for a long time I've been thinking through like economic questions like not just trying to understand the science of it but thinking through the ethics and also trying to understand from a law of nature from a biblical like Christian perspective what's the how, how does our Christian belief inform our views on economics mm-hmm um and really just kind of thinking through some assumptions that i hadn't questioned before and realizing that i didn't have as many answers as i thought i did um <laughs> and realizing that things are probably more complicated than any sort of one holistic system can answer uh so it's just been thinking through a lot of a lot of those kind of fundamental level questions um and so this book i really appreciated because it is just that it's like he's trying to get behind trying to get behind the talking heads that you see on tv you know the the quote liberal the um, left and the the right, Right. or the you know the left and the right progressive conservative whatever you want to on you know cnn or fox news trying to kind of get past that and see try to figure out what's going on but even then like it's because when he talks about the conflict of vision there's two visions he talks about constrained and unconstrained vision and uh and it has to do with kind of how you view, it's really just a vision of reality, like kind of almost how you can, it's not really a presupposition. So you can't like connect it to presuppositions. It's more of just an outlook, not, and not now I'm trying to say like worldview, it's not worldview either. It's just kind of how you view or see human nature. But I was going to say, it's not a worldview. How world you view. see the world. It's not a view worldview. It's how you view <laughs> the world. No, no, no. Um, but anyway, so the two visions is constraint, or the constrained vision the unconstrained vision. it kind of sees how you understand reality. So is human nature reality? Do you fundamentally see it in terms of constraints and we're just kind of trying to do our best within these constraints? or Or the unconstrained vision, where you kind of see unlimited potential. Like there might be some constraints now, but if we just think hard enough through the problem we can fix, we, we can fix it. So, uh, and he does a really good job of not, it's, it's you, know, you would think that it would be a polemical book where it's like he comes up and, and it's really not. In fact, you could, if you didn't know, like I, I don't think from reading the book, you could tell whether the author is more right-leaning or left-leaning,
0: right leaning or left leaning
1: um, and even then, like, it, it sounds like the constrained and unconstrained don't fall neatly into right or left leaning camps. Right. Um, but, cause you can have, uh, you know, people, <laughs> what, what would be someone on the right with an unconstrained vision? He,
0: I remember or, to, reading... or John,
1: I, I would say John, uh, maybe John Locke. John Locke was a good example of mm-hmm. someone with an unconstrained, kind of an unconstrained or a kind of a mixture, um, and how he how I viewed human nature. But anyway, right. like most remember, people have mixes, a, kind yeah. of a mix or fall somewhere in the middle. And that, and that's kind of when I would read the book, I would most of the time probably find myself aligning with constraints. And like I said, that's just kind of how I view reality. There's a mm-hmm. limit uh, in terms of limits. And, but he goes through several different questions. Uh, so after defining the visions and kind of what they are, He addresses how each vision approaches questions of justice, questions of equality, questions of uh, social processes, um, questions of uh, history or um, rationalism. Like how you know one of the one of the pre one of the features of the unconstrained vision is that they tend to value um, individual uh, in the knowledge of an of an individual elite over uh, say, the decentralized or distributed knowledge of a group of people. In fact, sometimes they may not even have a concept of a decent sub, that kind of decentralized knowledge, whereas the constrained vision tends to emphasize a un, kind of almost unconscious knowledge that a society or group of people possess that is not necessarily outlined in rational, logical, philosophical terms, but just kind of possessed as the people. Um, and so that's why typically you can see people with the constrained vision are going to tend to favor market forces and the market system um because that's what it is is it's a decentralized knowledge system the price system allows you to have knowledge about um the economy about production and supply and demand without anyone any one person having to have all the knowledge Mm -hmm. but anyway
0: but again like you can't put like individual philosophies right. into either right. camp, really, because right. I remember reading it in college and mm-hmm. thinking, okay, I'm in, I'm constrained. This makes sense, and then yeah. turning the page and being like, wait a minute, what am I? <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: and just not yeah. being able to fit into right. one camp right. exactly.
1: And and you can't even necessarily say the specific policies come from a constrained or unconstrained position. Right. So a good example would be like basic income, uh, universal basic income. You would think that today that's typically associated with the left you know, left wing economics, but is, that's not really the case. Like, you know, Frederick Hayek, you know, hard, pretty hardcore libertarian type uh, advocated for a basic income Mm -hmm. uh, from a constrained vision, basically because, well, there's constraints on, you know, labor has limited negotiating power towards cap compared to capital. Um, So having a a guaranteed income allows for um, basically allows for labor to, uh, Negotiate for better wages, essentially, to make sure that they maintain their can maintain their standard of living, and make sure that they are to ensure competition um, in the labor market. It basically, he, his the basic income wasn't to, you know, allow someone to make a living without working necessarily. It was to ensure that people had the choice and had the option um, to leave a job in order to promote competition and market forces. Because basically, without Without that, um, capital would have too much control over the market, and so the labor market would be distorted mm-hmm. um, and not as favorable to labor. Which labor is kind of what makes everything work, um, you know. So anyway, so that's an example of someone with constrained vision advocating a policy that we would typically see as unconstrained. Yeah. Um, or say, like Thomas Paine would be another. He kind of had an. Much an unconstrained vision, but people today kind of associate him with conservative right thinking. Mm-hmm. But his when you look at how he advocates for things, it's definitely unconstrained uh, in his view of humanity and reality. Another example would be, of kind of the opposite, where Thomas Malthus had a constrained vision and advocated for you know pop, was one of the first kind of alarmists about overpopulation, and now that be that is now a very kind of left progressive right. message. Um, So you can't really, that's another, how you can't really divide them up into right and left. So something, a policy that might be associated with the constrained vision in one era can be associated with people with an unconstrained era in the next. Like you can be advocating the same policy from different Mm. positions. Okay, Um, I have a question. Yeah.
0: In this book, you kind of get these two new categories, Mm -hmm. the unconstrained and the constrained. Do you think that that's beneficial or do you think like, we have enough labels of it is.
1: I don't think it, so it's not helpful in terms of like labels because I don't think you should label yeah. yourself constrained, constrained or, or unconstrained constrained. I think it might be when you're asking specific questions about so say so, so that you can understand the definition of terms so say when you're talking about say justice um, and how two people and this would this be an example where I might kind of have a combination of the two where you know when you, when you're talking about justice from a constrained perspective that's primarily justice in the process like the process is, is equal to everyone that goes through the process um, whereas justice from the unconstrained perspective is ensuring that nearly like reasonably equal outcomes personally I think you know it, even scripture could kind of sees uses both definitions in some cases mm-hmm. like we can see it talking about justice primarily and what what people on the right typically understand justice under the law equal treatment under the law but scripture also talks about justice for the poor and it means more than just equality under the law like when it talks about justice for the poor it's talking it you know it's it's meaning you know ensuring that the poor who work have food to eat is justice for the poor yeah um so justice uh, but so that so that so the benefit of the book is understanding that we might be talk we using the same word to talk about different things or or power like he I th- really was he appreciated the chapter on power and how two people can have very different understandings of what power even is where the um, uh, unconstrained a lot of times tend to focus on economic power and people with a constrained vision like the concept of economic power isn't doesn't exist it's not a thing um because you're you're not taking away someone any the option that someone had before yeah so it, it was really interesting to try to read it not in or kind of difficult at times not to read in terms of right or left but by the end he was, did a good job of showing how um you know two people can ad- you can advocate for the same policy from two different visions a good example mm-hmm. would be, like, so the basic income from Hayek. So Hayek advocated it for a universal income or, a, uh, like, a limited welfare state from the constrained perspective, like basically saying people need to be cared for, the, you know, we're not, uh, humans aren't going to, aren't perfect, we're not going to act perfectly in the market, so we have to do this in order to maintain a just an order an orderly, you know, good market and good society. Um, whereas today we typically see that from people with an unconstrained vision, where they're viewing it in terms of a, you know, they're believing that specific, you know, certain individuals in government have can better control the uh, capital or the goods in the market than uh, the, the society or the market as a whole. But you know, right. we need the market doesn't work. We need people. To, you know, we need some elites. Some. Educated politburo yeah. to control the distribution of resources, uh, whereas from a constrained perspective, you can advocate for the same policy, government welfare or government welfare, state-funded welfare, by saying, "Well, okay, you know, because of human nature uh, and the nature of the, the free market system we have in place, is uh, economic power, economic um, goods are going to tend to be more." tend to centralize over time and we want to ensure that it's as decentralized as possible. We need to keep it somewhat decentralized in order to preserve competition. And so we need this, we need welfare, a basic income, uh, what have you. Uh, so that was uh, another feature of the unconstrained vision is again, so unconstrained kind of focuses on the ability of an elite intellectual to Solve humanity's problems. The constrained vision will say, "Okay, acknowledge your good intentions, but there's going to be unintended consequences that Mm -hmm. you can't predict because humans are constrained. We can't know everything, and so we're we're never going to be able to know all the consequences of our actions and decisions." Right. Um, I kind of had a tiny experience with this firsthand (laughs) uh, in a like unwitting thought experiment where i was thinking through what was i was just like
0: so he's very much into agriculture right now kind of as an yeah, idea you're yeah. not a farmer
1: not a not technically a farmer. he is but growing uh, microgreens in i am growing basement, microbes,
0: yep. hydroponically and mm-hmm. that's fancy yeah so.
1: it's fun um so he's sort no, of a farmer. so i was thinking about <laughs> agrarianism and uh some of the benefits of agro like small-scale agriculture uh and also I was also kind of a, into like looking at the tiny house trend, I thought that was kind of cool um, as a solution to homelessness. Just you know, being able to and in- rapidly increase the supply of okay. livable houses um, with you know good and also from an, you know good from an environmental perspective, less waste, less wasteful of precious, precious resources. So then I kind of had this idea. I was like, okay, maybe from as a combined. retirement plan, because you know I yeah. retire from the military, I'll have a retirement income. So, but I'll still want to like do something. Um, But I don't necessarily need to earn a ton of money with what I do. So I was thinking maybe I could do some kind of uh, either private, you know, Mm -hmm. nonprofit organization or even just if I own, say, you know, 10, 15, 20 acres one day, we own 20 acres one day. We could uh, build it as like a homeless community, like have homeless shelters, but we would have tiny houses um, as, you know, on the land and... For low-income or homeless people, they could come and live uh, in on our land uh, in in these in this tiny house village, and in exchange for labor, like they would help out with the farm, we'd have like a you know ten to fifteen acre organic vegetable farm, (laughs) and people would come and they would uh, in exchange for their labor, which I would see as a net good, uh, especially for um, I don't know how many like I've done. I can't say I have a ton of interaction with homeless people, but when I was in Mississippi, there was, where I lived, there was a large homeless population. So I, yeah, yeah, so I interacted with homeless people semi-regularly. But, you know, it's very important just for all humans, not just homeless people, but I think especially someone in that situation to feel productive and useful. So not only is the labor, you know, beneficial for the farm and producing uh goods but it's also helping them be yeah. useful and be as opposed a way to...
0: for people who maybe can't get like you a normal like office type job
1: right to right have
0: some kind of opportunity right, right. something to build up work. skills yeah. and show skills
1: yeah yeah so i had this whole vision of people of me owning 30, 20 owning a farm a 20 30 acre farm putting little houses on it and then having people who live there work the land for me, for you, for me, mm-hmm. right, and then they would, uh, you know, get some of the proceeds from the land that they work. You know, some of the ve- like they would keep some of the vegetables, and the rest of it and would go to, es- go to fund you. the estate. Fund the estate would fund would fund the farm, and then I like, it dawned on me that I had just like, invented feudalism again.
0: <laughs> again, we've been there before. So,
1: good intentions, and then. Uh, not, yeah, you know, some some unintended consequences, <laughs> uh, which okay, I do maintain. Like there is a one one crucial difference: is there would be no there's no debt involved. They don't oh oh there's no debt bondage. And there's there's they're no not the, they're not tied to they wouldn't yeah. be tied to the land. Yeah, they're not. Surfs, so that would be <laughs> the crucial difference from my my uh, my system. They of feudalism. could leave if they
0: wanted. <laughs> they would be to, yes.
1: That that's the key difference. Um, but yeah, almost no. Almost feudalism. I almost invented, I invented <laughs> feudalism. Yeah, so I was like, why? Why had nobody thought of this before? Oh, and, because, oh we because we did. Because
0: we have. We did it.
1: We did it for a long time. Um, like I, said, I still think, with the right optics, it could be. It could be a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. serfs. No surfs. <laughs> so did you like the book?
1: I did like the book. Mm-hmm. I would recommend it. It wasn't very long. It's not a long book. Mm-mm. It's like, it's. I think it's. I think it's less than two hundred pages. Yeah, I know.
0: Um, I was definitely trying to keep up with you with Lord of the Rings so we could finish around the same time and that mm, did not happen. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was I would recommend it. Thomas Sowell was a was a good writer. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I probably should read more of him.
0: I know also in that class that I took with that book, mm-hmm. we read a book by him
1: on Marxism, I think. Mm. And it was yeah, I think we have good. that. We have that yep. book.
0: Yeah. Then, it. then the, yeah that was yep. from that class. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, okay. The one thing I could tell, you can kind of tell which sources he relied on the most. Um, so you can he quotes the the most the two people that he typically uses. He looks to Adam Smith um, for the constraint vision for the constraint vision and uh, Condorcet Condorcet. Yeah, that's I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, for the know. unconstrained vision, um, so you so you can tell that like read a lot of those two people and then wrote a book and kind of used them as the archetypes. Well, I mean um, Adam
0: Smith, like right. That's fair, I think.
1: Right. Yeah. No, it was a it's a good book. I would recommend it. If I'm you're, glad you liked it. Yeah. If you, it, especially like as a way to kind of ha- get past the get the, out the, of the the discord, the right. Twitter. Uh, the twitter discourse you see today um and kind of get to the root of issues because yeah. that's
0: it's very like fundamental right
1: i appreciate those conversations big picture yeah
0: so i mean it goes without saying that my next book is the lord third of book. the rings again have the you decided on my next one is? yeah you're gonna read the old man in the sea okay which we are reading for our book club well yeah we read for our book club we're recording that soon so that's coming out soon also
1: Wait, so, we're going to so talk, you're going to talk about the book and book club, and yeah, we're going to talk about it right here? Yeah,
0: our listeners are going to get a lot of the old man, <laughs> <laughs> But, and I mean, I guess, Hemingway. right, and I mean, I guess this kind of shows that I did really enjoy that book,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you won't be surprised if you listen to our book club how much I like that book. <laughs> yeah. So, and also it's a short one, mm-hmm. and I feel like you earned a short one. Okay. Because you're also reading other books right now, yeah. and I'm just... Plugging away at Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and my goal is to finish Lord of the Rings before the baby. So, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. I guess that's all. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Nope.
0: Don't want to talk about sci-fi again.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're gonna. I feel like you're getting into sci-fi. Though. I am. And you'll understand how wrong. I have more sci-fi since
0: yeah. we've last recorded.
1: Yeah, and you'll understand how wrong that statement. That that characterization i
0: was. i am beginning to regret saying that
1: <laughs> it was funny though
0: it was yeah all right well i guess that is all we have for you today mm-hmm. so
1: thanks for listening
0: yeah thanks for listening to us ramble about fantasy and economics <laughs> <laughs> and we will talk to you whenever we finish our next books Yep. whenever that may be um so don't forget to subscribe to reading minds wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to leave us a review preferably a five-star review but i feel like that's like not i fair prefer to
1: four-star reviews then that's, that's don't just me. say that I don't like say that to them i like them. fours i like four
0: i already have one four star i want more five stars I feel,
1: when i read a four-star review i feel like it's more honest like a five-star, I feel like someone just checked the box and moved on. Like if I see a four-star review, I want to sit and read it because then that's someone that's actually critically thinking about something. Because no one, no podcast is perfect. There's no actual five-star podcast.
0: Except for ours. <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to Mason. We <laughs> would like to be discoverable on uh-huh. like Apple podcasts and stuff. Yeah. That's why people yeah. leave five-star reviews. You don't have to love it. You just want us to be
1: discoverable. Mm-hmm. I was slightly joking so yeah do the uh-huh. five stars sure
0: thing. sure anyway check the box Okay, we don't need to talk about this anymore <laughs> alright um is that all the things I need to say you said all the things I think I said all the things thanks for listening bye friends <laughs>